on, Zach. Is he still there? Looks like he's frozen. He's not frozen. guys. I'm not frozen. Oh. I'm here. Uh, yeah. yeah. You've got it on you to do the intro. Oh, what do I... I'm Zach Whale and welcome to Ag Watchers. <laughs> well, that was the uh, the intro of the year. Uh, from, I, thought, from, I, thought, so, I thought the hand closing was, was everybody shut up. No, that was uh, ready to go. Zach, do your intro, do your thing. Three, that was two, like on, on the movies one. where they do that. Where they do that little, you know, when they do the scene, click oh. and tick, you know, tick. Like, yeah. Do we start again, or is this the best first three minutes of your podcast since it launched? Yeah, no, nah, we don't do edits, Zach. We are fantastic. I should have known. Naturals, naturals. I know you don't do edits. I've heard some stuff that I've wanted edited, but oh. but you guys just roll with it. Just roll with Did the you actually roll, say, roll with the punches. Sting like a butterfly, float like it a was, bee. It was such a brief intro. I didn't. Did you actually say you're from Grain Growers, or did you say you're Zach Whale and that's it? No, I just said I'm Zach Whale, but I, <laughs> I am. I'm, I am Zach Whale from Grain Growers. Welcome to Ag Watchers. How's that? Oh, that's that's that, that'll do. Look, 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 Zach. We'll we'll fix it up for next time. Next time you're on, we'll uh, we'll we'll. we'll uh, We'll fix it up. We'll, we'll, we'll give you a script. Uh, but no, it's, it, look, that's that's what people are aiming for. They're aiming to listen to a podcast that is, you know, social, uh, casual. You know, no, no, no holds barred. No scripts. No sponsors. We work. We work hard. And, we and, work hard to. And it's good to see no. that somebody can come on the podcast and match our unprofessionalism. Love it. Happy to help. So it's good. You're, you're talented. Uh, right. We'll jump into the six cents. As you know, six questions we're going to fire at you. The main topic is a short podcast again, like the other podcast of the day. We're, going to, we're trying to be more short because people complain that we talk too much. So this will be a short one, and we're going to focus a bit on Bali, WTO, China. China, 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 as Trump says. Not, not, the, not the foot and mouth Bali, the other Bali. Yeah, Bali, oh. not Bali. Oh. Yeah. So, six cents. We're going to fire six words at you or phrases. You give us the first thing that comes into your mind. Matt, you go first. Um, pharma health checks. <laughs> Critical. Your metaphysical age versus your nominal age. Old. Black China. China. Unpredictable. Barley trade. Optimistic. Black pudding. Delicious. Crocs. Disgusting. Oh, dear. All right. That's it, I think. That's it. Yeah. Right. Well, big news this week, Zachary. We've saw... Fantastic news, Andrew. I think I think everybody's uh, cautiously optimistic. I think it's the word that people in the industry are using. There's a bit to go though, yet, right? It's just been obviously the there's been a what a suspension to the uh, to the WTO process from Australia's perspective, and China's expediting a look at it. Is that yeah, what's exactly going on? exactly right. So under WTO trade rules, and I guess under the principles of of WTO processes, bilateral negotiations, so negotiations between two countries, usually the complainant uh, and the respondent to a dispute, um, them having discussions is usually the best way to get an outcome for both countries. So the WTO being 
the most formal and, and legalish mechanism you can go through to solve a dispute. Um, and what we've seen this week is uh, Ministers Wong uh, and Farrell uh, announcing that they have negotiated with the Chinese government for them to take um, a three-month review, an expedited review with an extra extra one month if required, so four months at the maximum. And simultaneously to that, China and Australia both agreeing to suspend the WTO action for the same duration. So in layman's terms, if we get to the end of that three month plus one time period and the duties are removed, then that suspension to the WTO would be indefinite. However, if the duties are not removed, then Australia reserves the right um, to simply reinitiate that review and then that process would continue. So, so that would that process continue at the same stage it's currently at or would it go back to day one? No, absolutely. It, it would continue at the stage it's at. Um, and I think the important thing to note in, in the WTO dispute process, there's always mechanisms for additional reviews and appeals. So it's not necessarily as simple as report being handed down and, and China revoking the duties and everything going back to back to normal, back to pre-May 2020. That could be a lengthy process too. So, you know, if, if you've got um, unharmonious relations between countries and you're stuck in a protracted legal process, you know, reason tells us that those processes can be be quite drawn out when countries when officials of countries are sitting down and trying to talk through something that that's what's sort of giving the optimism that maybe you know both parties are, are going to land on something that that's beneficial for both so so to put um, it so put it in layman's terms basically for the layman's terms for for simple folk like matt and i basically we started off with the process of going to divorce proceedings and now we've decided to go to couples counselling with China. Yeah, brilliant, brilliant analogy. The, 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 the Australia and China are effectively d discussing the easiest way to, to solve the issue. And, and I guess quid pro quo, you know, that means you, you put a pause on the WTO process. So do you think, hmm. what, what, what do you think the driver has been for China to come to this table? Like we, we've, we've spoken about it a lot over the last year. I think I said sort of there was a bigger chance of, maybe a bit of a falling of relations when the government changed. Um, obviously, China has been buying a lot of barley, like record volumes of barley in the last two years. Obviously not from us, but from... From the, from the, from the, from the, from the they've had a French lover, haven't they? In, they've had a French the lover. With the, with the relationship analogy, the, you know, the marriage. So they yeah, go, little, go uh, yeah. we, 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 we love your Bali. But not a menage a trois, because <coughs> Australia wasn't involved, a menage a trois. Well, if you actually go on that analogy, they have had a bit of a, a menage a trois, because a lot of that barley has come from France or Argentina. So we've got French lovers and Latino lovers getting into China. You didn't think it was going right. to go and down so, this route, did you, Zach? No, no I'm, I'm. This isn't in my pre-prepared talking points. So, um, so in in the best case scenario, let's say, right? So the the, the mediation works out, and in three or maybe four months' time, we're all friends again. And does that mean we well, immediately so we are all, back to we're, we're, we are still friends? Yeah, but I'm just from a, in a barley sense, right? Yeah. We're, we're we're back to normalised relationships. No tariff applied um, or punitive tariff. Does that mean we go within three or four months? We could be best case scenario back to full steam ahead with trade, or will it takes some time to pick up. 
Oh, look, I, I don't know how long nitty-gritty export certification processes take or, or if there's a paper trail that needs to be worked through. I assume there is, but I, I think grain is simple in the sense that you need a port, you need a vessel, you need a buyer and a seller. And so, you know, all of those things are there. What we need removed, you know, is a punitive duty, you know, that allows China to be competitive again. You know, tariffs that, you know, it, they can be a lot lower than 80% um, to, to be trade, to be trade stopping, um, you know, pulse pulse tariffs with India, similar scenario that that stopped the trade in its tracks. This this the size of this tariff was similar, but once you remove that, providing the <coughs> commercial arrangements that need to be brokered and, and export certification, oh, it, it just becomes and the a, like once that happens, the, the trade commences, Matt. It's just um, commercial. It's commercial decision between two traders, and but I suppose the thing is, in reality, we've got four months. Let's call it four months, worst case mm -hmm. scenario, or best case scenario. Best case scenario, three months for a resumption of trade. Worst case scenario, resumption for trade, four months. Worst case scenario, completely, it goes back to drawing board. But then that would be, realistically, that means that we'd probably start trading grain with China for the coming season, not this season, because the four months from now is August. And the shipping stems are full, and nobody's going to preemptively trade grain with them. Or you could, you could take a punt. You could say, "I'll trade some grain with the assumption that in September the tariff will be gone." But you'd be, you'd be brave. But it's a new, it's a new seat to me, as my professional opinion would be there would be a new season thing rather than old season stocks. Yeah, I, I, I would be inclined to agree. But Matt, the other interesting point is we've been trading a lot of other grains into China over the last couple of years. So China's been purchasing a lot of our wheat. So it's not like a market where you've possibly had um, country to country relations completely severed and you've had no commercial transactions. We've had a lot of commercial transactions in the grain sector. That's just been wheat, not barley. And I think that that's important to note because it means those relationships, you know, business to business are still healthy. Um, hmm. And as a result, you know, I think, you know, as Andrew indicated, you know, it can be pretty quick to, to get going again. Well, yeah. trade flows change and the ebb and flow. But I think, what, what do you think the lessons are? Because we're, we're pretty much, in a month's time, we'll be three years into this uh, tariff. I would have a five-year tariff because it was always going to be five years minimum or a set tariff of five years. What have the main lessons been? Yeah, it's a really good question. I've been reading a lot of opinion pieces and a lot of media over the last few days. And I think, you know, previously there's a lot of commentary in that international relations, international trade space about um, the dysfunctionality or the ineffectiveness, you know, of, of the WTO. But th that's possibly, you know, and, and sure, like every process, um, like every divorce proceeding, to use your example, Andrew, it's got its flaws, but the system does bring parties together in a very regimented and formal kind of way. And that's ultimately led to, I would make the assumption that that's helped us get to where we are today. And so don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. We've got an international rules-based trading system. Um, we've got a whole raft of, of, uh, of requirements that underpins how goods ought to be traded across the world for WTO members. And when that, and when countries break those um, rules or requirements, they reserve the right to impose duties like China did. In this case, Australia disagreed with the premise of that, and we took it to um, the international third party 
you know, to adjudicate and, and, and think hopefully we're going to get off that process earlier, but it sort of says to me, the system isn't entirely broken. And when you have trade disputes and when you've got countries that are as, are as important as China, use that international mechanism um, and go through that process. Um, because if, if you don't have that process there, it's utter lawlessness. Can you imagine how a country like Australia that's quite trade exposed would navigate this sort of stuff if we didn't have that WTO option? Like, I just can't fathom how you would do it. If, if the country didn't want to talk to you um, and wanted to just completely put up a wall, you would have to just grin and bear it and be in another market, you know, for the rest of time. But we've got that process there. And we, grain growers, went around in circles in the lead up um, to the Australian government going to the WTO to try to work out, you know, what would be the best scenario uh, for, for the for the grains industry and and more broadly agriculture, and that's where we landed. That there's a system, so back it. Um, so that's my first learning: back the system. M my second learning is we've got to constantly work together as an industry and constantly put pressure on the Australian government to invest in and work their asses off to get as many doors open as possible. So, you know, whether that be FTAs, you know, whether that be just you know, good Austrade support for customers and and businesses in, in international markets so that when doors close, that we're not completely stranded, that we can divert cargoes and we can keep trading to other people. We, we've got great products in Australia. And so the Australian government needs to keep, and I'm not saying they're not doing it, but they need to keep working with industry just to open as many doors as possible. As we know, the grain will go where the money is, but when things happen, and there's trade disruptions, we need options. And, and that's that's where industry and the Australian government has to remain vigilant. Um, if I think about over the last couple of years, most of our wheat goes to Indo, most of our pulses went to India, most of our barley went to China, most of our oil seeds go to the EU. We have a lot of single commodities highly dominant in one market. In that context, we've got to have one eye on diversity and we've got to have one eye on um, positive trade relationships across the board because we're always going to be in a position where, you know, um, as trade becomes more volatile, um, we're going to be caught short. Do you think that's, that's a good point, actually? As you mentioned trade becomes more volatile. We do know that, you know, commodities tend to go in, in specific routes, largely because that's where the money is. You know, we, 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 we trade. And again, I think I've something I've said a million times before is Australia doesn't trade anything with the world individual trading companies do and uh, you know diversity of markets is just what you said exactly right it's about opening doors and making sure that we have got the options even if we don't trade any grain to Ecuador every year you know when we want to we want to have you know phytosanitary all that kind of guff malt, malt barley into Mexico I mean is Mexico going to buy the lion's share of our malt barley you know, into the future, I doubt it, but it's nice to sell it to them when they need it, um, and, and when it when it all works. And, and you you know, volatility increases, but you're a you know you're an analyst and a trader um, originally, Andrew. Volatility equals opportunity, right? Retired retired pig farmer. Retired pig farmer. Um, it's a hungry world. You know, we're we're producing, um, and, and you know, we want to be in the right position to take advantage of, you know, of those opportunities. You know, even if it's volatility that throws them up. Because there was, there was, sorry, well, that, go on. Well, volatility is the trader's friend, like you're saying. Um, but do you think that this has been also a lesson that we should tread carefully and slowly when we re-engage, if we re-engage China in this space? Like, I know that there was a lot of discussion around, 
you know, that's what happens when you rely on a specific market. But but it sounds like it's going to, you know, once if everything goes smoothly again, back to how it was, we're going to be back putting most of our barley into China and they're going to dominate, you know, the, the, the demand for our of course product. In a year, year's yeah. time, I've that, put that, that bet on. Yeah, you've said that many times, and and I think you're probably right. But does that? Does, I'm always right. You know, will there will will there be any lingering kind of? Oh, are we are we kind of you know going in too heavy here, or should we continue to maintain other alternatives just in case, or, or do we just you know go in, uh, you know, fully engaged again? It's it's a really good question, Matt. I mean, I practically don't know how you do that. Um, the grower certainly can't because they sell a commodity you know, to a trader. The Australian government can't because, I mean, we're, we're a deregulated market and they don't have a role to play. Um, I think from from my organisation's perspective, from a grain grower's perspective, I think we manage risk by making sure the government keeps doing what it can do in terms of opening those other doors. Andrew, you might have a comment as to how traders build risk into their you know, into their bids. I mean, if they're uh, not certain that market's going to be maintained. I think you'll find, Zach, that we're the ones that ask the question. <laughs> no, but but you are you are right. Like, um, thanks for thanks for co-hosting with us today, Zach. Pleasure. Uh, well, I mean, I did the intro, right? Yeah. Well. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, you kind of did the intro. Let's be honest. Yeah. If I ever get a second Guernsey, if I ever get a second Guernsey, I'll coaching. nail it. There's a lot, there's of, a lot of coaching with the intro, but anyway. Yeah. And and I have noticed some good media training there. After every question, <laughs> Zach does do the old. That's a very good question. You know, that's that's a future in politics for, for Zach. Mm. Uh, but anyway, yes, Zach, you, you said about, you know, traders uh, apply risk. Every trade, I, I actually spoke to somebody yesterday. I don't know who it was. The countryman or the West mm-hmm. Australian, because they were asking me about risk policy. They pretty much the exact same question is the trade will put in a risk premium and but that's the same if anywhere. Like if 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 you were a trading company, you know, trading company, White Law International Grains, and you're looking at trading into Sri Lanka, you'd be saying, okay, bit of a dodgy economy at the moment, bit of political upheaval, upheaval. So you might add a little bit of a risk premium in there. You might say, oh, we're trading into the UK, bit of a basket case at the moment. You know, we we want to get rewarded, you know, just in case something goes wrong. And that's the same with China. Maybe for a while there will be companies that will say, you know, we better put a risk premium in there. But the reality is it all just balances out in the end. You know, if, if one person says, oh, that risk premium is $20 a ton, for hypothetically speaking, and the next trading company says, oh, it's $10 a ton, well, they're going to get the business. And then somebody else is going to come in and say, oh, it's $5 a ton, and they'll get the business until it just balances out. It just, it just flows. So, so yeah. Thanks for the question, Zach. You know, we'll put you, we'll put you in a credit in this. As, uh, Pleasure. Thanks, thanks for coming on the show today, Andrew. Thanks very much. It's, it's been, it's, it's really, you wouldn't believe how much of a privilege it is to to come on this podcast as as a guest for once. Well, I mean, the podcast works because of the caliber of the guests. Yeah, that's, well, that's true. That's, that's true. true. But normal, normally, you normally would say that. Normally, <laughs> <laughs> but so. In, in, in general terms, though, it's pretty good news. Uh, time will tell. And there's still obviously the, the possibility that um, it might go belly up. They might say, nah, you guys 
are getting done for for dumping, but I, I don't. I, I like I'm 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 not a betting man. Well, I am because I always win. Matt, don't know. Have I ever lost a, a bet? Uh, yes, one. Which one? The, the one about Ange Postecoglou getting thrown out of Celtic in six months. Fair enough. Fair enough. That's that's a good point. Did I pay my bet? You did actually. You did. I gave you fifty dollars. You did. You did. How many times have you paid the bets that I've taken with you? Well, but the bets that we zero, do, zero. No, because you make up bets that you want me to do and enter into, and then and I say no, I'm not taking that bet because I probably agree with you, and then you insist that it was a valid bet, even though I hadn't, hadn't actually entered into the bet. Okay. Well, anyway, I'm not a betting man, but all I'm going to say is that it's in China's favour at the moment to ensure that this deal gets brokered. No, not deal, but it, the tariff goes. At the moment, they're paying a lot of money to get barley from France and Argentina. Uh, if we look back at the last 12 months, they've imported a lot of volume of barley. Um, in effect, at, at one point last year, more than 50% of the world's exportable surplus of barley was unavailable to China, either through the war in Russia or Ukraine and the tariff on Australia. So they had limited, as much as you said, Zach, that we want doors open for us to trade into. <clears throat> a country like China, a major consumer, it wants doors open so it can actually access grain. And I think <clears throat> looking at the next couple of months, it's going to be more and more important that China gets access to as much doors as possible. Because in, in, in reality, Chinese consumers have paid more for the barley, feed barley and malt barley, than they would have had to if Australia was available. And I think that's important because the malt one is probably the more important one because we've just seen the volume of malt being exported reducing. So most of the malt's going as feed now overseas. And so we need that Chinese market open again for the malt industry so we can get some decent premiums for that. Uh, but I got one last question and uh, or one point. I'll, let, I'll, I'll get your point of view from it first. Has do you think that the lack of China has impacted Australian producers from a price point of view? It's a fantastic question. I mean, so much has changed. I see, see that? See the fantastic the question? <laughs> I did it again. Um, I, I've been thinking about it a lot. I mean, the market's moved in all sorts of ways since <clears throat> the tariffs came in. Um, a, a range of, I mean, Russia and Ukraine, for instance, um, I know there's a lot of talk in the grain sector about, you know, the value or the disparity between physical values in Australia and, and basis, for instance. But the point is pricing has been strong um, for the last couple of years. So, look, when when the tariffs were first struck, you know, I think it was between $40 and $50, you know, premium being lost, but the whole market moved up, you know, for a considerable amount of time. Um, but would that Chinese market have been even higher? Um you know, I, I don't know, Andrew, but, you know, being locked out of a market um, in such spectacular fashion, I think always takes a hit. Um, it was just probably on in our favour that that commodity prices were solid um, for the bulk of that period. So I think it's like I, I look at it slightly differently. And, uh, okay, prices have been high. I had a discussion with somebody from Nutrien, actually at the Summer Grains Conference, who told me that I was wrong, that wheat prices were low. Well, someone from Nutrien disagreeing with you. That's a oh, well. rarity, isn't it? Uh, but it was good to get markets advice from an agronomist. Um, but 
the reality is that mm-hmm. our prices have been relative to the rest of the world low when we've talked about wheat. And I think Grain Growers put out a report on that last week. Or you did some, you guys did some media on that. Uh, the wheat prices are low relative to the rest of the world. When we look at barley prices for much of that tariff period, they've been relatively low compared to previous other indicators. So whilst the barley price has been flat price high, if a farmer goes out and sells barley, he's getting a higher price than he hitherto would have had. But what he's saying now is that the discount between barley and wheat, for instance, would normally be an X. It's higher than it normally is. The discount between French barley prices, physical, and Australian barley prices has gone to a larger discount. So I think that is probably a sign that if China had been there, we probably would have got a higher price. It has been improving in the last six months in that those discounts have been coming back to a more natural level. But I think for a large part of the last two years or three years, we haven't discounted. And I think farmers have been lucky that they haven't felt the full effect of this tariff because of events overseas. I agree. And I think what you just answered there was why I should ask the questions and you should probably answer them. I was just giving you an opportunity to sort of, you know, a bit of back and forth, but, but great, great point, Zach. Really love it. And uh, yeah, so this was the idea behind this podcast was to get somebody on who's smart and intelligent and knows about the inner workings of the WTO and what's been on on the background. And, And so thank you, Zach, for, for, for coming on. Absolute pleasure. Thanks for having me. That's and all right. Normally, normally I'd sign off um, with a particular sign off, but after your results from that farm health survey, I may or may not want to see when you're going to yeah, But my, I, my metabolic age of 87 years old. Yeah. Well, I think, look. Hopefully you're looking after yourself a bit more these days. Age, Absolutely. Age is nothing but a number. It just turns out that your number's pretty high. <laughs> I take back the comment about this being a pleasure. But, uh, and uh, look, we look for, and Zach, we really look forward to, and we really support you in your run for the Senate over the next couple of years. Uh, you know, your, your media training is really good. Uh, and we sort of, uh, we'll be very proud to see you representing our country. I, I, I would be honoured. Thank you, future Senator Zach Will. Thanks, gents. See you when you get nothing on. Ciao for now.